This is Talk Is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Well, here we are, good sir, on the heels of the Nolan One Up uh, Drink and Thinking podcast. Uh, for anyone that missed that, go back and listen. Uh, the expert of factors through the roof on that one. I think there was 57 in 30 minutes. Is that is that what the, the number was? I, I I would believe that would be fairly accurate for that podcast, but it was great. It was a great time. If you're thin-skinned, don't listen, but it's a, a great listen. Uh, Nolan's a piece of work, man. He's hilarious and great storyteller, and, and it's a great story. Like It's just interesting and a whole bunch of really cool stuff to talk about, but um, this was great. We sat down on episode 129, and we welcomed Jenna McCray to the podcast, and uh, Jenna's been a longtime supporter of the society. She's um, runs her own taxidermy studio, and doing some fantastic work. I love watching her her Instagram and seeing what she's doing out there. And we thought, well, let's bring her on and talk about bears. It's bear season. Um, and I always like to do a refresher on, you know, what am I going to do in terms of skinning, caping, uh, fleshing, you know, what am I going to, you know, just prepping. And, you know, I always got to get my brain around the spring session, right? Like the fall, you kind of dialed in, but when I go spring bear hunting, I'm like, and you kind of depending on where you're going and what you're doing and what the weather's going to be. And you, you can get anything, too, with bears, right? You can be anywhere from, you know, 10 degrees high during the day or in the, in the mid to high 20s, really, like in certain areas, right? So, Yeah, I think it's the it's the perfect listen for when you hit the road on your way to bear camp or whatever you're doing for your bear hunt. But you know, it's a good, good reminder, good refresher for anybody that doesn't do this all the time or isn't, or I shouldn't say not doing this all the time, but not skinning bears all the time so it's yeah it's, it's good job with the reminders and a little refresher course for myself as well yeah and, and and certainly for somebody that's never done it before it's pretty intimidating right and you know the cool thing i like about what jenna talks about is just get her the cape like you know you kill something if you can get it to her pretty quickly you know don't even worry too much you know obviously she'd love for you to flesh it but even you know she she talks about how she can handle that too right but uh you know, I was always freaked out about going out and I did, you know, what do I do? Like, how do I get, get it off the, the skull off and like the whole thing. Right. And it's, uh, it's kind of like she said, just get after it. Right. Like taxidermists always get after you, like, you know, be careful and don't nick it and blah, blah, blah. And, but you know, at the end of the day, Jenna's like, yeah, we just sewed up. That's our job. So, um, yeah, that yeah. was, that was nice to hear. Just don't, who cares if you poke a bunch of holes in it? She's like, I'll fix it. If there's fur there, I'll fix right. it. As long as it's not a bald bear, I can hide those stitches. It's like, oh, you're one of the first taxidermists I've ever heard say that, and I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so what's going on? Uh, you're the, you and Gooch are the the lamb count masters, the keeper of the lambs there. So talk a little bit about what's happening there. Uh, well, uh, Gooch is he's having. One heck of a time right now. The the lambs are coming fast as fast and furious along the South Thompson, and they're everyone's mad scramble. It seems like all the ewes are dropping their lambs within a couple of days of each other. Every time they turn around, there's another lamb. Um, you know, they haven't seen what's going on with the lambs yet. There's not a fate. There's no fatalities that they're aware of, or that they've mentioned to us and any updates. And so they're keeping a close eye, and they're dedicating so much time out there right now just watching those lambs trying to figure out what's happening because the lamb recruitment along the south thompson is abysmal it's it's scary times i think they're down 50 percent and 
the last 10 years in a lot of those areas and we've got to figure out what's going on yeah and this is a bigger project that you know we've been involved in we we purchased the callers um, they were deployed and um, and now you know we're trying to keep an eye on these sheep and see what's going on there and trying to understand the mortality causes for these lambs and the lamb recruitment so you know I my understanding Greg it's a lot they think a lot of it's predation They're, they have really no evidence of any disease issues so it looks more like a predation event but they really don't know and hopefully we'll determine that soon yeah on the you know if you listen to the podcast with Danny Coyne he he brings up a good point you don't actually go and look for the lambs you look for the eagles the eagles will tell you where the lambs are and you know Peter was mirroring the same statement um, birds are everywhere they're everywhere along where the lambs are so it's you know that's unfortunate they're uh they do some devastation eagles and that is what it is unfortunately if it's them Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um cool and i i know you got some summer accounts planned on the fraser uh can people sign up for that what's involved with that what does that look like yeah if you want to reach out to me um Instagram or my my emails on our Instagram on some of the posts but even if you message um, any of the Wild Sheep Society socials I'll be looking at the messages if you want to volunteer we'll be heading up uh, north of Lillooet along the Fraser River three times this summer checking on land recruitment in the area that got treated this past year um, be June 10th uh, July 17th and uh, August August 8th slipping me right now honestly uh, it's a bit embarrassing since I've been beating it into everybody's heads lately <laughs> but yeah it'll be a good time awesome. so it's not, it's not too far out this time for everybody that's been on the Fraser counts when we've been in the churn area I know that's a bit of a trek for a lot of folks it's, you know, for me coming from the lower mainland it's a 6 hour drive to get to camp um this one, this one's not as bad. You're not too far out of Lillooet where we'll be. Right on. All right, so we're going to go and listen to some cool stuff with Jenna McRae here. Uh, just a reminder that it, we have our six-gun rifle raffle. We're 25 30% sold out. The early bird is June. So mid-June, we're going to – actually, third week of June, we're going to draw the uh, – early bird prize so you want to make sure you buy your tickets before that so tickets are 50 bucks um and uh, it's on all over our social media but get over there grab some tickets and um you get one in six chance of winning right so there's six grand prizes or there's six prizes and uh you buy a 50 dollars ticket if you don't win the first one we'll draw another one so you're gonna get six kicks at the cat so uh $54,000 in prizes thanks to um Omer and Precision Optics for putting that package together for us. Tons of great industry sponsors there. We can't mention them all today, but uh don't don't miss out on that cuz that's a the grand prize is a climber a Gunworks climber rifle uh in actually I can't remember the caliber right now so I'm not even going to say it, but there's a whole bunch of different calibers, a whole bunch of different rifles, optics. It's a rifle of a lifetime. So check it out with that. Let's talk to Jenna McRae in episode 129 of Talk is Sheep. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Stone Glacier. Thank you, Sitka Gear and Stone Glacier, for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. 
Story time with Jenna McCray. Welcome to Talk is Cheap, Jenna. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So it uh, looks like you're in some sort of uh, animal den or something there, maybe a taxidermy studio. Tell us where you're at right now. Yeah, so this is my shop. This is one of my two shops, actually. Uh, this is the shop that's at my house. So it's like I do more of the clean work here. Like after everything's tanned, I'll do all the mounting here and stuff. And then I have another shop, which is actually quite a bit bigger. It's at my parents' property. They were generous enough to give me two bays because they have a trucking company and they've got like big shops and stuff that they park the trucks in. So um, they gave me two bays and I do kind of like the dirty work there. And I do a lot of the bear work like there because um, doing the rugs, you have to block them and you have to stretch them out and stuff. So you need a lot of space to stretch out the big bears and you know, when I was doing euros and stuff, I'm not so much anymore. It's the dirty work. I kind of keep it over there because my parents have like 35 acres and I can like all the waste and stuff. I can kind of like bury it there. So it's like the shop that I do the dirty work in. But this shop that I'm in now is like the shop that I do probably 80% of my work in. So this is like it's really handy to have it here on the property where I live. So like if I want to wake up at 5am in the morning and I can't sleep, I can just come out here and work before my kid wakes up and yeah, this is where all the magic happens. Awesome. Cool. So, okay. So anyone listening, um, you are, Jenna is a taxidermist and uh, we're talking about taxidermy work. So uh, very cool. And I see a sheep in the background there, Some a bunch of very cool, uh, an owl, whole bunch of stuff. So let's talk a little bit about um, who Jenna McCray is, who your business is and what kind of work you do. Um, so who I am, that's like the million dollar question, you know, it's always like, you get so much pressure on this question. It's like, it's almost like a resume, your cover letter, you have to like explain who you are. But, uh, I am obviously a taxidermist. I've been a taxidermist for about six years now. Um, I grew up in a hunting and fishing family. Uh, I was kind of a tomboy growing up. I still am. Um, Raised on a farm, we were really like farm to plate. Everything that we ate growing up was either forged in the bush or like we grew it on the farm. Um, me and my dad, we grew uh, chickens, poultry, turkeys and stuff. And I had two older brothers, but I don't know why they didn't help my dad do it. It was just me and him. Like that was kind of like our thing that we did together. Um, so we would do like a whole processing line. Like he would, you know, dip the chickens and get all the feathers off and stuff. And I would gut them and like, we'd have this whole processing line and our freezer was full of good stuff. Like, you know, chickens, turkeys, and, um, like moose and deer and stuff. And we spent a lot of time at our family cabin up in Loon Lake and, yeah, we did a lot of hunting and stuff like that. So I was kind of the kid growing up, the tomboy kid in elementary school. And like my lunches were grouse legs and <laughs> and trout sandwiches and stuff. So yeah, that was me growing up. That's kind of who I am. And um, yeah, I just, um, like I said, growing up in a, like a fishing and hunting family, I just kind of like evolved into this job. Um I have like, I have ADHD. So it's funny. I don't want to like blame any of my stuff on ADHD, but it's like, I 
needs stimulation in like special like ways, you know, like this is a job perfect for me doing taxidermy because it's like, I always have like crazy animals coming in and I'm like, Oh wow. Like every animal's different. So I kind of evolved into this job. It kind of came natural to me. So, um, like I actually went to school to do uh, baking a pastry to make wedding cakes. So I was a lot like, um, into fine detailing and stuff. So, I mean, that really kind of translate really, really well into taxidermy because you have to be really, you know, attention to detail. Everything has to be pretty bang on. So it's kind of like who I am. <laughs> Very cool. So let's uh, now you're in the lower mainland presently. Is that where you grew up? Was on a farm in the lower mainland or was it outside of that area? Yeah. In Abbotsford, kind of like Mount Lehman area. I went to Bradner elementary. It was kind of like a Bradner girl. Awesome. So did, were you the one that was like at 10 years out, uh, out there with your dad with a rifle in the bush or did you get your license early or, or is that sort of something that came along later in life for you in the hunting and fishing space? Um, like I said, okay, so I have two older brothers and I was the youngest of three. So I was the girl. So I don't think they really expected me to get into like hunting. So I kind of started getting more into fishing and they were focusing on my brothers, like teaching them how to hunt. But growing up with two brothers, I was like, I can do anything that you can do and I can do it better. So eventually like I got, I got really big into fishing and I focused on that. And then eventually I got into like bow hunting and stuff like that. So I kind of got into it on my own. It wasn't my, my dad so much that I was hanging around with. I was just watching them and learning from them. And so they'd bring back the deer and the moose and stuff. And I was like, Oh, I want to do that. So. Awesome. So how old would you have been when you took your first animal, when you pulled the trigger and took something or. Um, well, I mean, I was into duck hunting a lot. So, I mean, that was kind of like with my 12 gauge and stuff, but I really started getting into, you know, hunting with my bow um, when I was about, I think around 30, 30 years old. And I was actually writing for BC Outdoors magazine. And I wrote my first article on like learning how to bow hunt. And uh, so I, I wrote the whole article on like actually going and getting lessons. And then uh, like going out and just trying to get my first deer and stuff. And so um, that was actually a mule that was at my cabin. I got that one. And then the next, next one was, uh, a black tail. So I started getting into black tail hunting around here. And, uh, that was really cool. I kind of like experienced the first like buck fever and I would wake up during the night and stuff. And I was just like, okay, so this is my whole plan. Like I have to, you know, wake up and it's going to be dark outside and, I'm going to kind of like walk out there and make sure I have my bear spray and stuff. And that's what I would do. I'd get out there uh, in the dark and, you know, I'd sit out there and wait for the sun to get up and, you know, I'd just watch and it took me about 45 days to get my first black tail. And I learned so much out there. It was crazy. And 45 days is quite a bit, but I mean, the next black tail that I got was, I don't know, it probably only took two weeks because I feel like with the black tail rut, it's, um, it's like a two week period where they're just like kind of stupid. And like, that's like your opening to get them like any other time 
other than that, you're kind of just chasing them around and stuff and getting close calls and yeah. So was this all self-taught then? Obviously you had some sort of mentorship growing up watching your dad and two brothers, but when you went out and did it on your own, you just figured out on your own, like you talked about 45 days of blacktail hunting. Cause I, you know, I grew up hunting and like, I remember being four years old and out with my dad and, you know, so it was, yeah, there was just that mentorship there, but I can't imagine doing it all on my own. That'd be, that's bloody tough. Well, that was the thing. It was like, I didn't want people to see that, you know, I got this black tail and they're like, oh, I wonder what guy got her into that. And it was like, I'm really wanting to do things on my own. And if I fail, I won't stop until I figure it out. So, um, yeah, I, I did that all on my own. I taught myself, um, and I mean, that's the best way to do it. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna learn from a book. You know, you have to learn when you're out there. So yeah, I just, I wanted to say like, nobody helped me. It was all me that did it. Like, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's bloody impressive. So are you now hooked on blacktails is archery what's if you're so what are you doing this fall what's your are you doing spring bear what do you got planned for the this year for a hunt um that's the thing like with taxidermy i didn't want to um i didn't want to like go and focus on hunting i wanted to like put a hundred percent of my focus on uh taxidermy because that's like the busiest time of the season right like this is where all the animals come in and yeah sure I can like go away for like a week and a half or something like that but it's like then I'll lose business and kind of want to make a solid name for myself and get myself you know a good customer base before I I left and like every year goes by like I've been into it now for like five and a half six years with taxidermy every year that goes by I just keep promising myself I'm like Okay, this is the year you're going to definitely take a week off and you're going to go doe hunting up if you get the the draw and you're going to, you know, early season, you're going to go out there and get like a two point or something just for the freezer. But, you know, I just, I find, I feel like I'm missing out on money. I feel like I'm missing out on customers and stuff and I get like super into my work and yeah, it really sucks because this is the reason why I'm in taxidermy is because I love hunting and I love everything about it and I can't lose that passion for hunting. So, I mean, this is the year, like I'm not a big bear hunter. I don't really like the taste of bear, but, uh, I'm a big, a deer hunter for sure. Cool. Okay. You talked a little bit about farm to table. You talked about your parents having the 35 acres. So obviously they still have some land. Um, you're in town, so do you, do you still do lots of farm to table stuff or is it, and obviously, you know, you like your wild meat and stuff like that, but what kind of lifestyle do you lead or, or is it lots of, you know, store-bought stuff? Um, I do, I usually do a big garden every year. Uh, so with, you know, grocery prices and stuff, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So always a big garden. Um, unfortunately you can kind of only grow stuff for a few months of the year. Uh, but I try and freeze everything so you can kind of access it through the winter and stuff like that. And then I just made a big order actually for, uh, some broiler hens, uh, broiler birds, sorry, some chickens. So, um, I'll be raising those with my son because I want him to learn, 
you know, about the whole process as well. Um, take a trip every year to Haida Gwaii. I'm pretty spoiled. But uh, I do that with my dad every year. So we get a good good portion of salmon and halibut and stuff like that to bring home. Um, still, I still live that lifestyle. Like everything naturally foraged, you know, whenever I can go pick mushrooms and stuff. And I went to uh, culinary school. So like I said, baking a pastry and stuff and I'm big on cooking. So it's uh, anything you can get from the wild, like morel mushrooms and pair it with grouse and stuff like that. Like it's, it's really cool. It makes a great dish, a great, great food to eat. It's all natural. It's organic and stuff. So I really like living that lifestyle. And I still always will. Awesome. So is the garden on your, do you have it on your mom and dad's place or do you have it at, at your place as well? Or is it all over the, the main, the main I'm property? Breaking up a little bit. So I'm guessing what you said was, is it at my parents or is it at the property that I live? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At your parents. Yeah. Or with you. No, it's uh, it's at my property. So I live in, uh, I actually live on Hatsik Lake. So it's absolutely gorgeous out here. Um, my garden's here. The chickens are here. Got some laying hens too. So I got the eggs. Um, yeah, that's all here. I like to have everything like right outside the door, you know. So all the herbs and everything as well. So awesome. So the broiler hens. How many do you order then? How many chickens will you raise this year? Um, I ordered. I ordered 25 because you always have to kind of take into account that because they grow so fast, they have heart attacks. You're going to at least lose probably like five. Um, so that'll leave about 20. And then my partner, his friend is really interested in growing them as well. So I'm going to put him to work and get his hands dirty and get him gutting some of the chickens and stuff. See if he's up for it. Um, and so I'll probably give him five. <laughs> so that'll leave us with 15. And then I kind of, I only wanted to do like one round um, before, I wanted to get them done before we go to Haida Gwaii because we're going to be gone for like five days to Haida Gwaii and I don't want like, the, they, they need to be fed like when they get older, they need to be fed like twice a day. Like they will eat so much food that you have to be around for them and especially like their water and stuff because they get really high maintenance towards the end. It's a lot of work. So I wanted to get a batch done before we go to Haida Gwaii and then I'll probably do another batch after that um probably grab some turkeys as well so yeah and they'll be good for like yeah. like soup stock and you know uh, Thanksgiving and all those things I mean like I don't really eat turkey breast as much like I grind it up but um yeah it's always good to have a couple turkeys in there as well give it variety Awesome. Very cool. And your garden, what sort of stuff you grow in there? Is it, you know, lots of vegetable, herb stuff, uh, tomatoes? What kind of stuff are you get out of your garden? Everything. Like I, I try and do tomatoes, peppers, all my herbs, beans, cauliflowers, tons of potatoes, uh, carrots, all the salad and stuff. And like my goal is to, and, and corn too. My goal is like when my girlfriends come over or any of my friends, I want to send them home with a bunch of like fresh organic groceries and like some chicken eggs and all that stuff. Right. Because I know everybody has a hard time with the grocery prices and stuff like that. Like, so I want them to like be able to go home with like a big, um, a big bundle of stuff. And we also actually, uh, 
have a huge orchard here. So we have, I think, like four or five different types of apples. We have, uh, we got four big blueberry bushes. They're pretty old. I think we got like 100 pounds of blueberries last season. And then uh, we've got wine grapes, um, tons of stuff, cherries, peaches, pears, and all that stuff. And yeah, we got all that. And we had quite a an abundance, like an overabundance of blueberries and wine grapes. So I was like, okay, so what should we do with this? Like, I don't want to, I stuck it in the freezer and I'm like, Hey, you can only make so many shakes. You can only make so many blueberry pancakes. You can only make so many blueberry muffins. So I'm like, what do I do with wine grapes and, and blueberries? So I'm like, got into this whole wine making thing. And <laughs> <laughs> I did, <clears throat> my first batch of wine and I was so proud of myself and I joined all these like Facebook groups for winemaking and stuff. And so like, I kind of messed it up the first time I didn't put enough sugar in and I kind of diluted it with water and whatever. So I've got my big vat. I don't know how many gallons it was like five or six gallons. And, uh, it ended up only being like 8% alcohol which wine I think is like maybe 13%, 13.5 is the norm. So I'm drinking it and I'm like trying like little tasters here and there. I'm like, Oh, it needs a little of this, a little of that. Tasting it some more, drinking some more. And I'm like, okay, this is, <laughs> this stuff is so good because it's like really low sugar and I feel like it's low calorie. So I started like, yeah, I'm like, this has to all go down the drain. Like <laughs> this could be a problem for me. <laughs> I'm like, my boyfriend's going <laughs> to I'm going to be drunk all the time. So, like I had to throw it down the drain. So it was short lived. <laughs> so are you going to do another batch this year or no? It's done. Uh, yeah, I totally, <laughs> I'm going to do it right this time. So I've been saving all my wine bottles and, um, yeah, he like opened up the little cellar that we have and he's like, where do all these wine bottles come from? And I'm like, I'm saving them for this year. Okay. I'm going to do like apple cider and all this stuff. So I'm excited. I mean, like we could literally live off the land here. Like we wouldn't even have to, you know, my friends all joke and they're like, Oh, if we have an apocalypse, I'm going to come over to your house because you're going to be the survivor. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you guys all judge me for hunting. And it's like, now you want to come over to my place to survive. <laughs> but um, like I said, we live on the lake and Hatsuk Lake has 13 different species of fish here. So oh, right on. like you could even fish out here and just catch whatever, you know, survive. So. Yeah. Hatsuk well, I think Lake's if... a fun one to uh, fish. It's got a little everything. Have you fished I it? head down there with my son. It, yep. My son and I come down there. We'll even after work fish right off the highway. Well, carp when you the water's just call hot. Me. We have our like spot here. You don't have to go with the riffraff off the highway. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so right now I'm, like, learning how to catch carp. I have caught a carp here before, just a glorified goldfish, basically. Um, and I figured you could just throw a hook in the water with, like, a piece of bread, like, all, like, smushed up. But they are so smart. So I got one of my friends, actually, I just met up with him earlier today. And uh, he's got this whole kit for me. And he's like, these are boilies. These are flavored pieces of corn. This is like the whole rig setup that you have to do. And you have to hook this to this. And I'm like, really? 
I thought you could just throw like a mono line out with a hook and just some corn and it would be fine. But apparently they're really smart. So you have, I'm going to actually like throw some stuff out for them and they can like come up and swim. And then they get into the routine of knowing that this is the feeding spot. I think, I don't think it's illegal because it's just a carp. They're an invasive species and it's not like I'm chumming them, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's my goal right now. I have to catch a carp. Like it's on my list. Like I'm going to go crazy. It's like blacktail hunting. If I have to do it myself, I have to get that carp. So just stay tuned for my Instagram. I will post a carp soon when I catch one. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so to, back to your point about self-sustaining and everything, it's interesting that if COVID taught us anything is that, you know, having that ability to, you know, look after yourself, look out, live off the land is, is pretty cool and pretty important to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's with inflation and everything. And it's like, you know, now people, like I've got a garden too and stuff. I don't have any chickens, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, it's, I just think it's really important to be able to do that. And, and honestly, like the cost of a garden and stuff is relatively cheap compared to, you know, groceries these days and everything too, right? It is and it isn't. Like, so we ordered a bunch of soil. The soil was like $600 to fill up the beds. Um, yeah, and the seeds and stuff are not too bad, but I mean, yeah, it does it does end up being cheaper and I'd like to not spend so much money on veggies and stuff like that. I'd just like to Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's not that that much cheaper, but <laughs> it's for a better cause, for organic and eating more healthy. So well, certainly the quality's there, right? And you're thinking like, you know, I was talking to that with my kid the other day that we, you know, we had some stuff from the garden. I'm like, you think about this carrot, you know, how many weeks has this carrot been out of the, the ground? And then we just, you know, we'll take and like eat fresh carrots from the garden, right? It's just such a huge difference. Yeah. The taste is different too. Yeah, absolutely. And you know where it's coming from and a whole bunch of other stuff too. Um yeah, I haven't quite figured out gardening yet, but uh, I, I same thing. I grew up on the farm. We just used to put it in the ground and water it, but now there's all these different things we have to do to be successful. It is. It's like potatoes. It's like, yeah, everything is an artist. Totally like do it and learn from doing it. Um, like potatoes, you don't, don't water them. That's like the biggest thing. Like they don't need a lot of water. And it's just you learn all these things from like trial and error. So yeah, I mean, it takes years to learn it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about some taxidermy stuff. So it's spring bear, um, and you know, the what's Greg and I were talking about this. We listened to one of your Instagram posts recently, or something on social, and you were giving some tips and tricks for people heading out in the field. So um, let's talk specifically about bears. I know you do a lot of bear work there, Jenna. So you know, what are some of the things that people need to be thinking about? And you know, I like to. You know, I, I'm not an experienced bear hunter. I've had the fortune to harvest a few over the years, but I've, you know, for me, it's like you know, there's a lot of thinking to like, how are you going to manage this about being in the field before you even go? So, you know, when people are thinking about heading out there, what should they be thinking about, like for taking for salt if they're going to be out for multiple days? Maybe they're going to go for three or four days and not come back because that you know they have a few tags that sort of stuff. So, what sort of things do people need to be thinking about before they go? Um, so. I said in one of my posts um, that, and it wasn't very clear, um, about salting your hides. And that was a, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a, it's, a, it's a really sketchy subject to talk about. 
because I don't want to tell people to not salt their hides and then they go out and they have they don't treat their hide properly and it starts to go green and they lose hair and it's my fault because I said not to salt it but um it really depends on like the temperature out um I mean like you know how to treat fresh meat before it goes bad you have to kind of treat your hide the same so salting is is good if you're say up on the mountain and sheep hunting and it's it's hot and you can't get back to your vehicle and get your hide cooled down right away um I mean if you can get your hide in the cooler within I don't want to say like four hours but like I think you, like the good window you'd have about three or four hours before you get it in the cooler um if you can't get it in the cooler that soon then apply salt but if I get something that's like salted and people didn't cut the flesh off of it, like the fat and stuff and kind of prep it prior. Um, it dries everything up like jerky. And when I go to flesh it and prep it for the tannery, uh, it's so easy to cut holes in it and you just can't get that meat off of it. And it doesn't even matter if it's bear or elk or deer. Um, salting it can be a complete nightmare for us. Uh, so only when, when you really just can't get it in the cooler. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the biggest ones for me. Um, I mean, like to prep, uh, going out, I would say, uh, yeah. I mean, another thing I tell people is, uh, when you're, when you want a rug, uh, just make sure you're making all the cuts properly. Uh, I have a lot of people bringing full bears to me because they don't want to mess up the cuts. Um, it's really not that hard. You just have to make one main cut down the center of the body uh, and then start at the wrists and work your way back to the main cut that you did all the way down the trunk of the body. Um, but make sure every cut that you do is the same cut that you did on the other side because it makes it even when it when you lay the hide out. Uh, flat, so you don't have to like cut a piece off this side and put it on that side. It's every you just have to make sure your cuts are even. So that's kind of my two tips that were really important. Now, one of the thing I used to do is I would take a diagram um, and just you know kind of get a. And you, you're right, it is like cut it down the middle and then wrists and so forth. But for a neophyte like me, I was like I just didn't have any clue. So I would. Is there any diagrams or any like? information that people can use and and the, for somebody especially that's going to do like keep the head and do like the full rug and the whole like you know and do it properly uh, or maybe do do a full mount for example if they're thinking about shooting a bigger bear what, what do they you know how do you approach that um i wrote i actually wrote an article on it it's on my instagram if you go to my instagram mccray taxidermy um i have a link for that and i wrote a whole article on it um it's in my bio so if you listeners out there want to go and look at my Instagram and take a, take a read for it, I kind of send it to all my customers and stuff. Um, basically, for rugs, it's just an H cut. So wrist to wrist, main cut down the trunk, and like ankle to ankle. And it looks like an H if you were to just kind of lay the whole thing out flat. Um, same thing for a life size. I mean, I can sew everything up and you know, I like guess it's, it's all going to look fine. The, the stitches that I use, uh, you can, 
hide the cuts. You know, people freak out about holes and they're like, oh, can like, I got a bunch of holes in there. Is it okay? And I'm like, oh, I can just sew it up. Like, it's fine. It's not a big deal. So. With my son, he was 10 years old or something. He was really young. It was his first bear. And there was literally like 50, 50 holes on that hide. It was insane. But I made him do it himself. And uh, he was so mad at me that he was having to flush this thing out up the lake. It was a beautiful day. And he had three buddies with him. And everyone was out playing. And he was having to flush this hide. He was not impressed. I mean, you can poke a lot more holes in it when it's hot out. And I, I understand like when hides come in. And uh, they're just like full of fat and people didn't flesh all the fat out on the field because the hotter it is, the more bugs that are out there. And you just kind of want to like get everything going and like put it in a truck and go and get to the butcher shop and drop it off. So I do understand. It's not like I get like I like, you know, get mad at people when they come. <laughs> with that. I totally understand. But yeah, the hotter it is, like the easier it is to poke holes in the hide and stuff. So it's like soft fat. It's like butter. It turns into butter when it's hot. Okay, so if some somebody kills a bear, right? They're they're out in the field. They kill. They they skin them out, um, or maybe they've just got them and they take the whole bear, whatever the case may be. Throw them in the truck. Get it back to camp. Do what's the best thing to do? Do they want to get that hide off immediately and start cooling it down? Like I know when we're sheep hunting and that sort of stuff, that's something you want to do. And caribou, like get it off, get it cooled down, and then. So you get the hide off. Do you are you flushing it right away? Or are you cooling it down? Do you want to get it near some like near the a lake where it's cooler? Maybe perhaps I know you don't want to get it in the lake. But what's the best thing to do as soon as you you've skinned that bear out? What, what should you be doing next? Should it be flushing or cooling or what should be your next step? Well, you want to hang your bear obviously, and then get the hide off it because the hide's going to keep the heat in there, and you you know like bacteria is what makes things go bad and heat bacteria needs heat it needs moisture and it needs food so bacteria is the enemy right so get the hide off uh cool it down if you you definitely don't get it wet because moisture causes more bacteria to grow um and that's where salt plays in if you have to put salt on put it on but salt's gonna take away the moisture so the bacteria is not gonna grow so if you really need to apply it do apply it um and yeah, for your meat too, you want it to cool down. So get the hide off and um, yeah, get it cooled. You can air cool it, drying it, air drying it is really helpful as well if you don't have any other resources like salt. So yeah. Okay, so you get the hide off. Now the head's maybe still on. Like so a lot of people will skin the bear out and it'll still be. And I know a lot of people are afraid, afraid to um, turn the lips and, and get the, the hide off the head. So are you recommending to your customers get the hide off as soon as you can, like skin the skull out and and everything, or what's the best approach there? Or just get it to you as quick as you can. What's the best thing I there? I don't put any pressure on my customers to get the skull out because I know how difficult it can be to get it out. Like I don't, I tell my customers, like I don't charge a fleshing fee. Like everything's kind of like a bundle price and like, um, cut it off basically at the last vertebrae at the axis there of the skull, cut it off, leave that in there. The skull I'll take out, um, cut it right off at the wrists and you don't have to deal with it. Just bundle it all up. Actually put it in a freezer. If you can, I would prefer it to come to me as a frozen block. Um, the reason for that is cause I hate ticks. 
And I know freezing doesn't kill ticks. It just kind of slows them down. Um, I had some bad tick experiences, so um, I definitely don't mind if it doesn't come in fresh, if it's frozen. That's my preferred way. Um, a different story I'll kind of go off on. Um, I was in my mentor's shop uh, when I was first learning for about a year and a half and then COVID hit. And then I was kind of like, everybody was kind of like had to figure out their own way of getting their work done. People worked from home. People did this, that. Um, I used it as my advantage to kind of just branch off on my own. And I opened up my own little garage taxidermy thing. And this was my first time like leaving the nest in my mentor's shop. And um, yeah, I uh, it was bear season. And I was getting a ton of bears in and I was flushing them in the garage. And at that time we lived in this townhouse. <clears throat> and... Um, I ended up coming in one night and at this time my son was about two years old. It came in one night and I'm sitting on the couch and there's a tick crawling up my arm and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And so I was kind of grossed out. And so I, whatever killed the tick. And then two days later, my boyfriend's sitting on the couch and ticks crawling up the back of his neck. And I'm like, I am going to be absolutely devastated if I find a tick on my son so I was like, freeze everything from here on out. And, and I haven't had a problem after I freeze hides and stuff and then dealing with them out, thawing them out and then fleshing them. So yeah, bring them to me frozen. I don't mind. Okay. So someone's in the field, they've killed their bear, they've skinned it out now. Um, and typical spring day, right? Like it's, it's warmish. It's maybe getting up to the high teens, um, maybe in the twenties, maybe, should they be flushing it and then rolling it and trying to get it someplace cool? Um, you know, a lot of people don't have a freezer out there, but some people, like if they're there for multi days, what what's the best approach? Um, do they want to wrap it up, salt it, and have it in a cool area near a creek or something like that? Yeah. What are your thoughts there? If you're out there and it's 20 degrees. You have to lay that hide out, get all the fat off of it, and then are you like saying that they have salt with them? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I know that I carry salt. If I'm going to go for multi-days and I don't have, I'm not going to get into a freezer, I carry salt with me. So I think most people would probably plan that. Like, you know, the other option is just pack up and go home and get it to, you know, to a freezer or to you or whatever, right? But yeah. Um, no, if you're going to be out in it's 20 degrees, definitely um, you got to put the time into that hide and get as much fat and flesh as you can off of it get it all the way down to the skin if you can see the hair follicles you're getting down to the skin that's perfect um get all the fat off all the meat off um if you can youtube how to split the lips it's not really not that hard split the lips uh get into the eyes all the crevices of the nose and stuff expose everything that you possibly can that you can get salt on the ears flip the ears inside out expose the cartilage uh, get salt on there. Just make it clean, clean as you can, because bacteria won't grow. So I like anywhere you can keep it cool. That's the best. And yeah, apply salt. It's not going to be a big deal if there's no like fat and meat and stuff on there. And then you apply salt. That's basically what I do to prep the hide to get it to the tannery. But it's just when people apply salt and there's fat and meat on there, that's what makes it really hard for me. 
And I guess the other risk too is that, okay, you've fleshed it, you've salted it, but if you haven't taken the skull off and you haven't turned the lips and the, the ears, that's a spot where that, that bacteria is going to start to grow and you're going to have issues with that going bad, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you can get it into a bag and put it into a creek, that would obviously cool it down. That would be a good idea. And obviously not get wet, yeah. double bag it. Yeah, that's on it. Like when we were in the old days, when we were grizzly hunting. That's what we would do. We take these industrial garbage bags and then we double bag it. And uh, um, super hot weather we're experiencing, and we just put it on, in a creek, kind of partially submerged, a couple rocks on top, and it it was good. It was in there for a week, and we never had any issues. Uh, we salted it, but uh, it was it held up pretty well. So. Yeah, that's good. Good idea. Now, if you're for somebody that's gonna. Uh, be out there and they're going to salt it. They're going to, I guess, take the skull off. Um, how far up do you go? Like do you, you, how far does your cut go up? Like right up to the base of the chin or how far can you go without going too far? Or do you just stop at the neck and then just kind of peel it back as you're skinning? Well, you can really like with rugs, I cut it all the way up to like just below the chin because with rugs, you really only need like a couple inches of the front part of the mouth, especially when it's an open mouth. Um, closed mouth, you probably need about four inches from the mouth. Um, it's really, I mean, like I said, you can sew anything up. I can, that is what taxidermy is. You can fix anything. <laughs> you're taxing around skin, you're sewing up holes. Um, it's, I don't, I don't stress it too much to like where you're making your cuts and stuff because it's all going on the same form so uh, yeah if you have a bear that's like rubbed all of his fur off maybe that'll be a, a bit of a challenge to hide the stitches but yeah it's i would say to be safe leave about four inches from the mouth okay and then for the for the paws and stuff like that for somebody that wants to do a full mount and they want to preserve like what how do you manage that like to skin out the the feet and, and everything like that. That's always been a- an actual pause. Yeah. Um, so this, it wasn't when I first started doing like fleshing bears, this was, uh, it took me about 20 minutes a paw. And now it's like, I try and race myself and I'm just like, how fast can I do this paw? How, how fast can I get the paw? Out? And I'm like, now I'm at five minutes, but uh, anybody who's trying it, 20 minutes, if you go around that time, don't feel bad if you can't do five minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I would say when you're uh, making your main, your cut all the way up the arm or the uh, leg, get to the pad. And I prefer when people cut right straight to the middle of the pad. And then uh, you would take, I'm hoping you guys have a Havilon that you're using because that's way easier uh, or some sort of razor blade. Uh, cut all the way around the pad until you get to the first knuckle. Um, and then you're literally going to have to skin and peel back the the skin on the top of the, um, the paw to get to the first knuckle. So a lot of people who have tried to take out the paws they don't get to the very last knuckle that is the actual nail. And if you leave the second knuckle in there, uh, sorry, the second bone, um, there's more meat in there. And if the salt can't get in there, it can rot. And then you'll have a rug or a bear that its um, nail has popped off because it rots and it just pops off. So 
you want to get it to the very like nail bone, the very last one that you can get to. So yeah, you basically have to like work your way in there and cut it all out. And yeah, it's kind of hard. It's hard to explain. You just kind of have to do it yeah. hands on. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I always get it wrong. I take it to the taxidermist. He's like, oh, you missed the last knuckle. Or There's always something, right? So, yeah. The worst yeah, is always um, tough. the worst, the hardest to get the paws out is probably wolves, I would say. It's crazy. Like, it's just a different um, structure of their nail. And they have the most incredible uh, structure of their feet. Like, it's, I've, I break probably three razor blades trying to get through one paw. Like their feet are insane. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so in terms of tools, so you mentioned Havilon. What are you using to flesh? What's the best thing for that? Just your hunting knife or what should people use for that? Um, when we're doing lots of bears and lots of hides and stuff, uh, you use an Ulu. I think I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Like Ulu knife. It's kind of like a, an indigenous um, steel knife that they use and it's kind of rounded it's like half a u and you cut you there's a pro uh, a way a technique of doing it that works really well if you kind of learn it a bit it ends up being a lot quicker um but it's still it's kind of like a little talent to learn uh we use that and uh i like to use razor blades i think everybody has their own preferred methods that work for them but razor blades the Havilons the longest one I think it's a uh, number 21 works the best and it's yeah it's long a pointed end so the pointed end works really good for getting into the paws as well because you can kind of stick it in there and like work your way around right on so if somebody kills a bear they get it home uh, do you want them to come and see you right away they want to get you want them having it in the freezer what's the best best approach to to deal with it a lot of the hunters make the the call right they make the call to the butcher they make the call to the taxidermist and they drop it all off at once because their wives don't want to open up the freezer and see this big block of a dead animal looking back out at them so like i really don't care like like i said earlier because of the tick thing i don't mind if it's dropped off frozen but drop it off however you want like i would say drop it off right away to me and I'll throw it in the freezer. Okay. Are you getting lots of bears in right now, or is it still a little quiet, still a little early? You broke up a little bit, but I'm guessing you said, uh, have I been getting a lot of bears in yet? It's, what is it, May 4th? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. No, surprisingly, like usually towards the end of April, they start coming in. Um They've trickled in. I've got like three or four bears already, but usually by this time, I've probably had about eight bears in. Like the season, spring season, I usually get about 25 bears in. So we got the rest of this month. <laughs> and I really honestly would not be surprised if like I got that number um, in the month, like the, the rest of the days that we have left in this month. Like um, there's been days where... I've had like a lineup of three or four people and they're like dropping off bears. So when it's on, it's on. And when the bears are out, people are, you know, bringing them in and the phone's ringing off the hook. So bear season's pretty good. It's just, it seems like around here with our seasons and stuff, it's like a shorter period that we can go hunting and get good luck out there. Right on. Um, 
And then do you get many fall bears or is it quieter or what? How does that work? It's a lot quieter actually. So I usually get like maybe seven bears and that's me not like taking euros in. That's me taking shoulder mounts and rugs and stuff. Actually, I would say with shoulder mounts, probably like, yeah, like seven or eight bears. So it's a lot quieter. It's obviously really busy with deer and everything else and caribou and elk and moose and stuff like that. So, and that's okay because I prefer to do deer. <laughs> I love doing bears, but my favorite is doing deer. So it's okay. It's okay. So deer, bear second, what's, what's your, where do sheep fit in there? Uh, no, let's go back. Bear would not be second. <laughs> bear would probably okay. be at the end. They're not my most favorite to do. They're just, yeah, they're, uh, they're consistent is what's great. I mean, like I get a lot of work, but I would say deer are my favorite to do. Uh, sheep would maybe be second. Third would be cats. Uh, yeah. Fourth would be wolves. Right on. How how long does it take if somebody drops something off and uh, what's the turnaround time? How long can they expect to wait for their stuff? That's one thing I want to start working on a bit better. Uh, I try to keep it under a year. Like I tell people, if you're going to drop off a bear, I want you to have it before or during the next bear season. Um, the When I started learning taxidermy, my mentor... Uh, he was kind of like, just take everything that you can and get it done, get it done, work, work, work. Um, but I, I went off on my own and I kind of want to learn a bit of a different, like I want to uh, have a different structure myself. Like I want to work on shorter turnaround times. Like it's not about the money. It's not about the work. It's about getting that animal back to the customer it, faster. That's a really important to a I think is just getting their animal. Like, who wants to wait three hours to get their, or sorry, um, th like three years to get their animal back? Nobody does. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm not too fussy though because it's yeah, it gives me a little bit of time to save for <laughs> to pay for the bloody thing. But yeah, uh, I ever yeah, for sure deposit, so it makes it better because they only have to pay the other half to get their their animal back. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Um, uh, price list and stuff. Is that, do you have a website for that or just if somebody wants to know, they call you up and, uh, for a price list? Um, I haven't posted my price list on my website. Um, there was actually, I'm, I'm a part of a few Facebook, uh, taxidermy groups, of course. Um, and there was a, there was a question that was posted, like, do you post your, your prices on your website? And a lot of people were saying that they're starting to post them because they you get a lot of calls and it's like what's the price for this what's the price for that and just, just kind of like clear it up so I don't but I'm going to to like I mean a lot of people will surf through websites and stuff and different taxidermists and they don't even bother calling the number because it's like oh this person just posted their prices oh okay I'll go with that person like it's just easier right if they see it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how many how many different pieces would you work on in a year, give or take? Um, and I know it varies and COVID screwed all that stuff up too, but what do you, what do you look at normally in a year for number of pieces you work on? Um, I try to keep a, like a certain, like the only amount of animals I will bring in is about a hundred animals. And I kind of 
work in uh, like taking about five weeks off a year and it's not vacation. A uh, hundred animals, I can do a hundred animals a year uh, and I have to take into consideration if my son gets sick, if I get sick, if my partner gets sick, right? Because he can't do anything because the man cold is just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, things come up in life, right? So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's still a lot. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a week, I'm probably working on about five different animals, and I would I'm re- okay back to my ADHD, and it's like ADHD people have so many things on the go at once, and it's like I really that's one of the habits I want to address with myself, and it's like to not have you know focus on one or two things, and I tell myself that every day, and I'm like Jenna, like focus on this and this don't jump over to this job like these two things need to be done today <laughs> like you know is yeah what's the worst part of the job jenna what do you hate the most flushing bears <laughs> first because it's like i love my job i love my job so much but it's like flushing bears sucks because um my hands are completely sliced up. Like you're working with razor blades all day long, like eight hours a day. I'm I'm like, I'm bleeding, like cutting my hands wide open and stuff. And it's like, I try to keep feminine hands because I'm a woman, but it's like, I've got these slices all over my hands and they're getting infected. And, um, and, uh, not only that fleshing bears cause sucks, but euros, euro mounts suck. I, um, I stopped doing Euro mounts because I ended up getting a really bad infection in my hand. And I, I'm really lucky that I caught it in time because I started getting the red streaks going up my arm and stuff. So I was like, that's enough of that. It's not worth it to do Euros because uh, my arm is not worth that. <laughs> um, and it was just kind of getting gross because... Like, like I, I know my job it can be gross at times, and I absolutely love that about it. Um, but when it would get hot and stuff, like, people are in elk, elk camp for, like, two, three weeks, and they'll get an elk the first, like, day or two. And then the head's sitting there, and it's rotting, and flies are coming in and, you know, laying eggs. And, like, who really wants to deal with <clears throat> rotten, you know, skulls, rotten brains, and maggots and stuff, and... You know, I got the pressure washer and these, I got the hot pressure washer because the hot, it just helps is a lot easier to get all the flesh off and stuff. And I got these like flying maggots everywhere that are like super hot and they're landing on me. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this kind of sucks <laughs> and brains going everywhere. I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm done with doing your own mounts. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, Let's just segue a little bit. So you, you know, you've been a huge supporter of the Wild Sheep Society BC. Uh, you sat on our Women's Shaping Conservation uh, Committee and talked about women in industry and the great work that you do. And uh, I just talked to my wife, and she said that was she just really, really enjoyed your talk. She goes, "I love Jenna. She's super, super cool." Oh, awesome. um, Thank you. <laughs> so very cool, and and uh, but. You know, you're a big supporter of what we do. Yeah. Does that come because of, you know, your conservation ethic, like growing up as a kid? Or is it something like you just, you know, that there's groups you need to support to 
and I know you've you know you wrote before for BC Outdoors and all that sort of stuff too. So, um, you know, it's not just a one thing that you're doing. So, where does that come from? Is it because we need to do more, or is it just because you've always felt that way growing up and you know the environment's so important? Talk about where that comes from. Um, well, when it comes to conservation, I mean, when you take from the land, when you take from animals, you must give back double. That was kind of my um, little motto and stuff, and. Uh, a friend of mine, Steve, he's a me- he was a member, at, or he is a member, sorry, and at the time he was like, yeah, you need to sign up uh, for the Wild Sheep Society, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, and he kind of like filled me in a little bit, and I'm like, all right, let's do this, and so, you know, I paid for my membership, and um, it's funny, I actually like messaged him the other day, I'm like, thank you so much for getting me involved with the Wild Sheep, because it's been it's amazing the the stuff that the organization does and you know, the awareness that it brings everybody and the events and it brings everybody closer and stuff. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And it's an amazing foundation to be a part of. And I'm just, yeah, really happy about that. So uh, yeah, I mean, giving back is number one. Cause anything. Uh, It's awesome. We're, we're super, super grateful. And, Love, uh, love the work you do. Love the messaging, and uh, and just uh, awesome to to have you involved. And yeah, we're super. We're just planning next year, and we're pretty pretty excited about our shows for twenty twenty four. Lots of cool things happening there. We're hoping to be a bit bigger, a bit better, and lots of lots of cool stuff on the on the horizon for that. So, yeah. um, might have to see if we can get you set up with some sort of seminar or something for us this year. Yeah, I could be the the main the key speaker. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. I like it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah awesome. I'm joking. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not actually, but uh, um, I've kind of hit on the main points I wanted to touch on. Uh, Greg, anything that you want to talk about um, that I'm missing? No, you ticked all the, the boxes on my list that I had written down here. Um, you know, <coughs> I want to thank you for your donations throughout the years, your your support, your volunteering at our, our shows, um, your work in the trade shows with us. You actually, I don't know if you remember, I signed you up, your life membership in Abbotsford at the Tradex. Oh, <laughs> now that I think about it, I think yeah. I played a role in sucking you in. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, is this a good idea? But yeah, it's just, it's been so awesome. Like just being a part of, just being a part of it and like getting to meet everybody involved and like, you know, Sheep Week was just so much fun. I love those events. It's just like everybody in the industry, like those are those are my people. And like, I feel like I've been a part of going to, you know, the sportsman show and all that stuff since I was literally four years old. <clears throat> and it's like, yeah, like I said, these are all my people. And it's really nice to finally like fit in and be a part of it all. So I'm really happy. And so thank you guys. Yeah, we'll have to get you down to uh, Reno one of these years. Yeah, yeah, I'm down. It's like our our show, but on steroids. Yeah, Played something. I've heard about it. I know. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Janet. So, okay, somebody wants to get some work done with you. Where do they go? How do they get in touch with you? What do they need to do? Uh, you can go to www.mccraytaxidermy.com. I've got my website. Um, I made it myself so it's not like super professional but it's it's good um my instagram mccray taxidermy keep it simple right um yeah at mccray taxidermy 
Cool. And are you taking all kinds of stuff or are you booked up? How does it look if somebody wants to get, bring you some work? Um, I'm, I'm taking basically all animals. I'm just not taking like any tan onlys. I send those directly to the tannery. Excuse me. I'm not taking any euros and stuff like that. Like random animals are welcome. I'm just not taking any stupid requests like pets <laughs> or, or like rats or moles. I got a, I got a call today about getting a mole done. No, none of that stuff. Just like game animals, please. Cool. And I know that for me, like quite often when I go on a trip, I'll, I'll call up my, I don't do it as much anymore, but I'd call up my taxidermist with some questions and stuff. Are you up for that? Do people call you with any questions if they have any inquiries or yeah. anything they're planning ahead? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I definitely welcome those calls. Like if you just want to ask me a few questions, like definitely how to like prepare for your hunt with the hides and stuff like that. And I'm definitely open. Uh, give me a call. If you have any questions at all, I'm definitely open for that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time this evening and uh, look forward to, we'll, we'll do this again. We'll, uh, we'll touch base again, but thank you so much for your time and everything you do and, and, uh, and for the insight. I learned lots on this uh, chat today. It was great. Awesome. Thanks for having me. See ya.